But what's up? Welcome to Sweathead with my Pollard. This is a rare, rare time. I have Julian Cole with me face to face. I think this is the first episode of Sweathead that I've done in a room. It's a very small room too. It's not even a room. Uh, it's like, it's a cupboard, but it's actually working really well for us right now. It's like a sound booth. It is like a sound booth, although sound booths wouldn't have like big glass, glass. doors, but we're very cozy and yep. I started to blush because I have literally never done this stuff so close to someone since I did radio. And I do want to give, I'm using a new piece of technology. There's these Rode uh, Go wireless microphones. And you know what's amazing about them? First of all, they've won a whole bunch of awards for being amazing, but it's so rare to look at the back of something these days and see made in Australia. And uh, just wanted to shout that out because I can't even remember the last time I saw that. Yeah, just don't you have that tattoo on your, your ass, mate? Just well, made in Australia. After the Cronulla riots, we all did some crazy <laughs> tattoo stuff and got our flags out. That's when you erased it. That's when you erased uh, it. For those who don't know, were you around when the... Yeah. Do you remember the Cronulla riots? Of course. What year was that? It was 2004? Yeah. Five? 2005? Maybe 2006? Oh, crazy, crazy. I reckon that's what set up the current era of nationalism and parochialism. But for those who don't know, Cronulla is a relatively very beautiful beach suburb of southern Sydney. So it's in the southern part of Sydney. And there were race riots between local Anglo-Saxon surfers and Lebanese uh, men from different parts of Sydney. And all of a sudden, overnight, the Australian flag became a little like... A racist symbol. Yeah, it became a racist symbol. Not that it's like that now or stayed like that, but it was like that for a while. And a lot of the, a lot of people got Australian flag tattoos and, mm. and the Southern Cross, which is a yeah. star constellation. So uh, it was on my mind this week for some reason. Not sure what the connection is to uh, living that strategy life, but hey, right. stuff happens. I told you I'm nervous, Julian. Connecting, you're connecting dots, random dots. Connecting That's dots, isn't it is. So what, we, what we're doing today, so we're doing a little planning session for all the things that we do. For those of you who are not familiar with, well, one of us, Julian, Julian Cole, we've known each other since, I'm going to say 2008, 2009. One of the first times I wrote about strategy was on Julian's blog, and I wrote about hip-hop communities and social media and having done that for a long time. And so Julian was my gateway. He was my dealer. To the, to the strategy writing world, and, and here we are 12 years later. I'll always reminisce about that, Julian. Yeah, it's good. And, and one of the first, I remember coming to one of your first, when Sweatheads, because you've had the idea of Sweatheads. Have you ever told the history of Sweatheads? I don't know, but I'm curious to hear what you're going to say about it. Because the workouts that you had in yeah. Sydney, just before I moved to America, you had these workouts, which, what did you call them? Strategy, they? exclamation mark, the workout. The workout. Yeah. So I think that Sweatheads kind of started from there because you asked everyone to come in training gear, yeah. like they were going for a workout. Yeah. And that's where I first think I heard Sweatheads. Maybe I didn't hear the, those two words together, but the idea of working out together, being open, sharing, um, started there for me. And that yeah. was that was early. That yeah, was like 10, yeah, 12 years ago. You know what I did it for? Because... I'm a bit shy. I like to go to a party, don't necessarily like to be in the middle of it as a farewell party. Yep. I, I did this strategy event in Sydney. What a nerd. Yeah. We had about, fuck, was it like 100 people came? It was $10. Yeah. <laughs> 100 people came. I just wanted to cover the room. Uh, Natalie Tran, who's amazing yeah. on YouTube, national treasure of Australia, she spoke. Uh, I don't want to name everyone because I'll forget names at some point, but it was, it was really cool. But I probably use the word sweat because of the gym gear and working out and believing and practicing what you do because that helps you get better. It's called deliberate practice. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. So w this is a little bit unusual. We're not exactly sure how we're going to proceed, but we, we're together for the first time to do a planning session for the first time. Um, I was introducing you as well for those who didn't know. So Julian runs Planning Dirty. Not dirty planning. I always want to say dirty planning. And every time I say planning dirty, I'm like, planning dirty, dirty planning, planning dirty, dirty planning. One of those will be right. Uh, and we do the strategy supersize omega class together. We've done it. We've done it in uh, how many times? Eight or nine times, six, mm -hmm. six cities or so. Uh, Julian does a lot of consulting. I do as well. And I've, pr I've probably been in 
I think I've done been in like 25 to 30 cities in the past two years. It's kind of amazing. It does get a bit discombobulating with time zones and jet lag and being on your feet all day. But uh, we're, we're kind of going to digest out loud what we feel we've learned. Mm. And then uh, maybe we'll talk about what we could do with it. Mm. And then we're going to get off this recording and, and go plan. Um, it's like it's a, actually kind of a big important day for us, I think. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this day. We've, we've chatted about getting together. As soon as I said to Mark that I'm moving back to New York, I think we've said we've got to put this day on the calendar, or even before then, yep. for about two months. So I've been thinking about this for a lot, Mark. I love it, love it. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's chat live events and in the broadest way possible teaching strategy. Mm. As you moved into doing more public events and then setting up, setting up planning dirty, what did you think you knew? What were your expectations of what that life, that profession or that 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 job was going to look like i didn't feel like i had a good grasp on it that what i had done beforehand was a session about four years ago called the planning salon and that was with um four other friends who are also strategists and we kind of uh presented for a whole two days and so i had that in the back of my mind when we were thinking about Supersize. I was thinking, hey, I've got a lot of content on consplaining. I think I can do that. Mark's, yeah, I'd seen all your stuff. You know, we keep um, we keep seeing what each other do. Yeah. And I saw what you did and I thought, we could just combine together and I think we could do this. I think my um, first attempt at it was really interesting. So the first Supersize that we had, um, you might remember, I... Uh, for four hours I just spoke I didn't have any exercises in mind it was just like a four hour a bit of a monologue but that's how I used to present um, and I also presented at this thing called Hawala which was like a day fest day over day thing mm. I got really nervous um, with the idea of exercises and I think you opened me up to that and oh my god such a like lifesaver because it's so much better for the parties like people in the audience mm-hmm. and the concepts just really land a lot heavier. So I think going into it, my assumption was that I was just going to speak for like four hours and then that would be it. Um, it was the very, it was the funniest event because I think I was sick that day. Was yeah. that the day I was sick? Yeah. First event, I was very sick and probably a bit of stress now I think about totally, it. Totally, um, But I, I presented after Mark and Mark gets up there and I'm like, holy shit, his shit's like a stand-up comedy routine and I'm coming after him with the, like, boring principal lecture and I'm like, oh, God, oh, God. And I got really nervous. Like, I, I kind of... I think I rushed through all my stuff and then that night I went home and I think I had to get I had to get to bed at, like, 9 o'clock because I was, like, so exhausted and so annoyed at myself. Uh, but then we had another event on the Monday. Yeah. And so all weekend I just worked on my stuff and tried to make it more interactive and activities and came back and I was like, yes, nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, that first one. And I also want to, the, the spirit in which we're sharing this is for people who are thinking about what their lives could look like if they did something a little bit different. We haven't planned what we're going to talk about. We're going to be as honest as we can in, in, in public and see what happens. Um, yeah, that first one, do you remember when that was? Was it June, July? June? Yeah, and big shout outs to Nayantara Dada who helped us get all of that together. But we did have that, and I know we've told this, some of these stories before, it's, but it's okay to repeat them. You know, we we did a podcast interview last year. We got off. We hadn't spoken for a while because you'd been traveling, and we're like, we should just do an event together. And in my mind, I was like, wouldn't it be amazing if twenty people came? And I think we sold out. We had like fifty people within a couple of weeks for that Friday event. We put on another event. We had some food sponsors, and I think the thing that you and I have appreciated about each other is sometimes one of us is um our energy can be a bit different and it alternates so you know one of us might be like oh should we do an event the other one goes yes and then we do it uh it could be we should do all these complicated things at the event the other one goes no we shouldn't do that we kind of have that good um give and take but that first event i'd done all the invoicing personally because i didn't expect it to do so well <laughs> and and also like i wanted to be closer to the the invoicing i really missed the the old hip-hop days when i was selling my magazine and advertising but it took it took a ton of hours and i remember getting getting to that space and and nayantara dada had set it up in a beautiful way and jess francis was helping out uh, down at caveat on the lower east side and i was like oh god 
we're here and people are here. I didn't, I, not only did I not expect so many tickets uh, to get sold, I was like, then people have to turn up. Yep. We all know what a customer journey looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, it's funny because now that we've done a few of these, I have a sense of if you're feeling jet lagged or sick and mm. like sometimes the energy doesn't come in the way that we all expect it to. But that, that was kind of cool. Like what, what were your expectations of that first one? Just to turn up and deliver? Yep. Yeah. And I, um, I didn't know what your content would be like. So I think I was a bit like, that was where the massive contrast was between the two pieces of content. I felt confident that we would be good. Um, I think the other thing is I didn't expect the happy hour, and I know this sounds kind of weird, or the networking to be such an important part of it. Yeah. And I think that that was, I was just like, oh, that's just like the little icing on top. And, but the idea of like connection and meeting other planners was so central to yep. what we did. Yep. And like that totally like took me by surprise. Yeah. And because that kind of stuff, because uh, we've got overlapping with different psychology. A year before I'd done a run from San Diego up to Vancouver through six or seven cities doing events. And I remember this beautiful moment in Vancouver. It was the last event I did. Uh, it was communicated through one of the local agencies and one of the local marketing organizations. And someone came up to me and afterwards and was like almost crying and said, it was a two hour event in the evening. So there had been you know, a drink or two, but not a lot. And the person said, I've never been in a room of people like me before. And I definitely relate to that, but I also figure that I'm a bit unusual and I'm like, okay, that's great. I, I relate to that. I don't know if everyone else does. And I, I remember telling you something about that and those kinds of experiences when we started. And I feel like it took one or two of those events for you to be like, ah, like it clicked a little yep. bit, right? And I don't mean that yeah. in a patronizing No, no, no. Like, I totally, yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. yeah. I had not seen that and you would experience that. So maybe you were like... Yeah, you definitely knew to expect that that was going to be a central part of it. And I guess the um, the question for us as we go into this planning um, after this is, like, how do we increase that mm. this year? Like, mm. how do we make sure, if that's something that people are really central to, how are we ensuring that that happens? Because there was even moments, like... So I think in at least two supersizer classes, people were like, hey, is there going to be an email list that goes around? Or are you creating a Slack group from this? And... We we're like, oh, no, we didn't have that. And we were yeah. just a bit behind the eight ball. So I'd love to work on that. Um, I, I would so. like to forgive us a little bit. It's not that we were behind the eight ball. It's that we just wanted to keep the business, what we were doing together, because we've got our own things, um, mm. simple. Yeah. And the, the human interaction part, because we deal with, we you know, communicate with a lot of people. It's I love it. It's great. But then to build a system around it, that's like a whole other yeah. venture. True, true. You know, it's almost a part-time job to maintain all of that. Um, what else? You know, I think one of the things I learned through that is those kinds of over... that some people might see them as overly emotional things. I've always been a bit apologetic for them because I, I feel a lot. And so I think doing a lot of these events over the past... especially over the past year, the past three years, has just made me less apologetic about it so that sometimes I start raw. But it, mm. it depends who's in the room and if it's in a company versus a public event, hierarchy mm. and all those things. And the thing that's really surprised me is that if you tell anecdotes and vulnerable stories in a room of professionals where maybe the setting is not the office let's say it's a comedy club or just mm -hmm. a venue at how immediately other people in a very relieved way will tell their stories too mm. that's i don't know why that's surprising but it surprised me a little bit yeah yeah it was it was great to see and i think to me there's a whole lot of I feel like as a strategy, as this job strategist, we're meant to like know all our shit and be completely buttoned up and straight and narrow. And yes. to me, um, it's just not the case. Nah. It's like, so, you know, no one knows what they're doing. We're still learning what we're doing. You know, like I, for me, it was like even simple things like, you know, I should know what an insight is. I didn't really have a great comprehension of what an insight was and could articulate it to someone till last year. Yeah. And how many times did I use the word insight for the last How many? Years? How many? 457. <laughs> uh, no. Um, but yeah, I think opening that side up, and I think you've also um, 
that's where I love that you push me as well because I am so sometimes not. I don't think I'm buttoned up. I think I'm quite emotional and, and pos- positive. But I yeah. think you've shown me that vulnerability, which I've really appreciated. And you you just taught me a different way to do um, everything from presentation to like the level of vulnerability. Um, the level of opening up, I think it's great. Yeah, and no, I, I smelled a little bit of big agency on you for a while, and that's, I was curious to see how we... What, mate? Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, yeah, post-New York, I smelled a little bit of big agency. And, As and I was like, oh, God, am I... Again, because part of my narrative growing up is that I'm a bit unusual. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's, I should be more like Julian. Uh, and then you started, did you put your earring on? And you, you haven't worn a kimono or anything at any of these yet. Dude, I've had a bit of a fashion crisis over the last 12 months. Um, I'm really in a weird spot. Like, I, ne- I had strong, I think, like, I, I knew my fashion identity, I would say, or something. But now I'm, I'm kind of a little lost because I haven't got the brands that I really like. So, comes, yes, maybe comes I and goes. Yeah, maybe I was a bit, a bit straighter. Big uh, agency. What did you call it? Big agency. I said you smelled of big smelled agency. Smelled of big agency. I don't know if that's Please. a thing, but it's now. No, you Please. did, a little. I was like, oh, God, I've got to be professional now. No, mate. Uh, what else? Because, uh, you know, I mean, both of us has done these kinds of events inside companies. You know, what, what kinds of different dynamics have you come across? Uh, I think in front of people especially if your boss is in the room a lot of the activities we ask people we're just asking for responses from the audience or we're doing strategy live and i think um you often inside groups you get very dominant voices where when it's a group of strangers i think people are a little bit more open Mm -hmm. where definitely when you go into um, organizations are definitely fine. There's dominant voices who kind of own the room and they're probably more senior or come from places where strategy was more experienced. So they're kind of like, um, yeah, their voice is being heard. And I think the job for us is to really find the other voices and make sure they're at yeah. equal level because the best way to learn strategy is to like practice and practice these frameworks and this and everything we do so I really try to make sure we hear those other voices yeah I, I love doing that too I don't really pay much attention to hierarchy in the room it is funny when you're in a more like in a, in a company in an agency or brand environment in an office and you say something and you're like oh god I just put my foot in my mouth because five people just turned and looked very upset at somebody else so I'll do that when I'm like I talk about how a lot of creative briefs use generic language like performance or durability and if I land one of those and people look sideways at someone I'm like afterwards I'm like hey what what did I just offend someone because I didn't mean to and they're yeah. like no we always get these briefs and we don't like them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that, right. that that's kind of a funny thing to see yeah that's true uh, I think there's also an interesting uh, this is a I don't know if this is a false binary, but I, I think existence, existential, versus, it's not a versus, uh, execution and executional. I think there are different mindsets uh, as well. And I sometimes feel I'm seeing it in the eyes if, if I'm talking too philosophically, too comedically, and, I'm, and I feel like there's an audience that's much closer to spending their days in spreadsheets or needing to execute or spending money. I sometimes feel there's a different vibe there, mm. different eyes at least. Yeah making it up maybe I don't think so based on psychology I've read but like do you feel that kind of different definitely definitely they're they're to learn but I think it's also this is like our different styles coming together because I am very executional like everything I like coming from comms planning I think that's also naturally you're very executional so everything I'm doing is like here's a framework here's how you use it boom 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 it's very like rational things where I think what you you bring out is the other side the existential the more emotional um side and i think that's the good compliment and there's some people who probably resonate with my content because they're like hey that's exactly what i needed i just needed like a very simple framework to show my boss and then there's other people who do that but i think the interesting thing is for me is that um working with you this year I've really, like, my skills have really blurred and where I'm really interested and excited is all around the more um, emotional stuff or, like, trying to get to the creative brief and the insight. Where before, I was the um, post-rationalising king. Like, that's all I did. Like, I'd come in after the idea, I'd post-rationalise it and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the great creative idea and then bring it to life in the best way possible and help sell that to the client when now I'm learning from you the other side of the craft and and from other people but yeah yeah, yeah it's an interesting shift because I've been around commerce planning for as, like longer than I've known you I yeah. uh, grew up doing digital work user experience and the thing I loved about user experience like doing you know planning multi hundred is that a word like multi hundred page websites is like what happens next what happens next what happens next does that make sense does that make sense and then over time I started to find myself much more attracted to like the the we'll call it existential and that word can really put people off or philosophical that word can also put people off part of what we do because I'm trying to for some reason wrestle in a deeper way with the human condition to understand myself to work out what I want the rest of my life to be Mm -hmm. so that's how I I know deep down that's how I use my work to try to work out like what it means to be alive because I didn't have a strong point of view on that growing up so that's that's sort of I feel super privileged to be in rooms with people who are sometimes also working that out and allow me to think in in front of them Uh, were, were there any did you have any feedback or any anecdotes or stories from people over the past year because what we've done new york two three three times right la chicago london sao paulo uh such good energy down there Mm. anywhere else because so because let's talk about like some of the logistical stuff and see what we talk about right so first of all which cities do we do this event in you know i find that's a challenging question because um, I've got a. I've had a client who works in learning and development, and they mm. have this beautiful office in New York. And they found that in America, and a lot of you who've worked in the major cities in America, especially in senior roles, traveling for work, it's just like commuting in other places. I didn't travel much in Sydney. In New York, you tend to travel around. And my client was like, "We have this beautiful office, but people don't tend to come here that much. We have to go to the business parks yeah. around the place." Uh, You've got we've got some some data points based on who's in the Sweathead Facebook group, based on your freelance strategist survey as well. Yeah. Like what? Are, just if we just check, like which cities do you think are the most interesting for what we're doing? Not most interesting, but like most uh, viable for what we're doing. So it's interesting because I think when we did events in New York, especially the last couple of events in New York, we actually had a 50-50 ratio, a 50% from local, like actually New York, New Jersey area, and then 50% of people flying in from other places. And that happened in other cities too. Like that was the same in Chicago and LA. So I think my assumption would be that we do more New York events. And I know, um, and I think people will fly in for it. But New York is such an expensive city to to visit. Like, having been in LA and coming and visiting, I'm like, it is extortionately expensive, like everything else. So that makes me kind of, like, juggle, is it New York? Isn't it New York? Um, Also, just in terms of America, New York is three times bigger than the next closest market, which is LA and Chicago. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense there. Uh, we've talked about different changing out like training depending on the cities too so like San Fran do we do something more closer to like product marketing managers yeah so I could see us doing something like that I definitely think we're going to get over to Europe like I love Europe so so good um, we're definitely going to I think choose a city there Uh, what we yeah yeah so the cities is interesting because, you know, the states of the US, some of them have bigger GDPs than a ton of countries, like most mm-hmm. countries. So I don't know what the GDP of Massachusetts is, for example, but Boston has a cool, I mean, has agencies up there and a lot of marketers up there. Like Washington DC is one of the most powerful places in the world. It's different culture. You know, I don't, I th- maybe we'd have to act a little bit different, differently, yeah. dress properly, for example, like wear pants, yeah. underpants. Um, Texas and in the south, Atlanta, Miami, Dallas, Austin. The thing about it when you start raveling off all these cities is traveling, it takes it out of you, man. Like, it's not, it's, like, I would love to be in all these places if it was catching, like, a train 15 minutes. But what we've found, and you found this, is, like, the jet lag and everything, it screws you up for, like, three days. It's not one day. It's not you coming down there for one day. It's, like... At least three days. 
Yeah, and let alone if you get, I got a little bit sick coming back from Mumbai and, and uh, Australia last year, it took me out for a few days. So yeah, and it affects your, your uh, sleep structure and your emotion as yes. well. So like last week I was in, in France and I was in, a, uh, in Lyon and then I had, gave myself 24 hours in Paris and was panicking about not doing enough because you know, that's what happens. And you know, I was on my feet for 14 hours, I think in two days in a different time zone, not yeah. sleeping till late and waking up early. And it, it definitely, kind of comes up on you a little bit even though you're like damn I'm so lucky to be here it's so yeah. surreal and it's, I gotta yeah. talk to myself I have to talk to myself about like dude like you've basically done a full week of work in yeah. two to three days because you've also travelled for 30 hours like yeah. I have to talk to myself like that because I get anxious about not being productive Yeah. do you find that when you travel? yep yeah yeah I, I'm not talking but the rest of it yeah. yes I definitely feel that I just think there's a massive me- mental and physical load that we've got to take into account yeah um i agree yeah okay so cities we're going to be talking about that later because i'd I'd love to be in you know 20 different cities in in the u.s over the next year or two we don't know if there are going to be people there yes we could do like pre-registration there's so many things to think about cities is a lot it is but that's a lot of places yeah but you don't know until you go sometimes no 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 but i'm thinking about the amount of travel yes, totally. going back to the travel yep. thinking about the mental and physical load I know, I know. Um, that's I, that that to me is just like mate I know please I get excited about it and then I'm like ah I've also been like traveling so much the last two years totally. and so I'm ready to like make roots in well, New York what do you think you've learned about living and doing business in America that it took you to move to America to learn because I feel like the way that we're talking right now is, is a little bit American. Like, we could do this, we could do that. Should we think bigger? Mm-hmm. And it's not that in Australia people don't think like that. It's just way smaller. It's 24 million people, right, in yeah. a country almost the size of, of the U.S. Like, what if, how have you shifted? Your, how's, your shift, how's your mentality either shifted or focused by operating in the States? I think you can be a lot more direct here. Like, you, what you want to ask for, you just ask for it. You don't have to, like, yeah. beat around the bush. Um, they celebrate all victories, like, and it's all right to fail. Like the whole startup mentality here is just like, if you have four startups that fail or go bankrupt, no one judges you and you can go for the fifth and keep keep going. going. Um, there's a lot of support around you. People want to just support you and push you up which is a great mentality and there's just positivity is just the mind frame. It starts from a mindset of yes, rather than yeah. no. Not that that's an Australian, I don't think no is an Australian thing, but there is a bit of cynicism and sarcasm built into, I think the Australian culture and the English culture. And, and I think also part of the Scandinavian culture. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Uh, and you kind of see it in the, some of the subtweeting that goes on, yeah. on, on the internet as well. Like, mate, we just like, Every time the people people come to like drag us when we're trying to share something helpful, like my insights piece, it's all English and Australian people dragging me. Subtweeting or direct? Subtweeting and yeah. direct. Yeah. It's never like, it's very very rarely Americans getting in on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's all these people dragging you. I'm like, bro, that's why you know, like America. That's why I'm here. It's like. Yeah. very positive and it's not it's not helpful no they're just dragging me they're not saying hey this is how i'd do it like i had the tweet about like here's some insights and the people that responded were just dragging me and they're like that's not an insight and then i'm like well do you want to show me an example of what an insight is crickets nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. and i'm like well like there's also parts of the world where at a certain time of day in New York, I look at the clock and I'm like, ooh, it's a bit melancholic in England right now. And that's because I think some of England's four pints in to the evening. Right. That's what I think. Okay. Uh, especially based on conversations I've had with people, yeah. like fun ones. Yeah, but I, I, feel that, I feel that energy too. And I think what you're talking about as far as being relatively direct, you know, I, I wouldn't say America is as direct as we think, but in business... If people want to make a purchase, you can say, here's what I'm selling. Do you want it? And people will generally say yes or no. They might ghost you, but it's uh, it's not complicated. Whereas I think I wasn't really as fluent talking money in this business earlier. I did sell advertising for my magazine and I was mm-hmm. relatively fluent. Uh, I was always a bit shy. It was coy. You know, we didn't really talk about money much at home. 
Um, and so I think that money conversations is, is freer and more liberating. And I think there's, you know, there's definitely like cliches that are a bit weird, like how many employees do you have? Are you scaling? Are you going to scale fast? That kind of stuff I'm not as interested in. It's sort of that Silicon Valley VC chat. Mm. But in general, there's, there is a sense of, um, and I know we're talking from a privileged place, but there is a sense of just, just get on with it. Go do something. Like surprises, entertain us. And the type of support, the energy around the support is really interesting as well. Like it's is congratulatory and relatively open compared to other places where I've, I've done talks in parts of the world where it's it's uh people are quite introverted or shy or resistant or they their body language looks a bit cynical but they're not always later on they'll be like oh that was really good mm. but in the moment there's this sort of cynical judgmental vibe i and i feel that's a little i don't want to i love london i love england it's a little bit in london just mm. a little bit right a, a few yeah. things that i've done um and i and i don't know you know, because we don't have, we're not Oxford, Cambridge, not to make a big deal out of that, but uh, the accent, I don't know where Australians fit in the pecking order in some of these places. Pretty light. We're all yeah, But in the US, like, I don't know. I don't know, we're talking as white dudes with like, you know, I can speak English fluently and I know that some parts of the US people are like, anyone with a bit of an English accent sounds more intelligent than us. I've heard yeah. that a bunch and I, yeah. I'm like, no, you shouldn't think that. Um, but yeah, there's a certain freedom of of uh, of thinking and ideas in the US as long as you don't stay infatuated with the news cycles and everything like that like you can you know that, and to me that's the journey if you come to New York yeah you might have an amazing career a lot of people are in a struggle and i think it's the thing that comes after the career that's what this country is about mm. doesn't mean it's easy doesn't mean it's going to happen wait but, can you explain that what happens after the career I feel like a lot of, you know, for whatever reasons, for prestige, money, of course, uh, visas, et cetera, I might move to New York and they're like, where should I go? I want to do the best work of my life. And I'm like, you might do that, but at some point you're not going to have an advertising career based on statistics. Mm. What's that life going to be like? Because this is an interesting country to do those things in. Yep. Are we post-advertising? I don't know. Mm, I don't don't know. know. Twixt. Twixt advertising is not a thing, but like we're, we're in it, but out of it. I mean, because uh, I mean, I talk through advertising to talk to the, to people about other stuff and deeper yeah. stuff. Yeah. Are you? I don't think we're post advertising. Are you? No, no. I'm still in it. Uh, audiences. So I'm kind of curious about doing events for management. Yep. And also, we do get people from creative departments coming, but I, I mm. feel like we could angle some events more at senior creative folk yep are there any other audiences that product marketers product marketers I feel like the um, students would be a big one I know it's like it's the students just need to know like that feels like and maybe we're not maybe we're part of it or like there's we get other people in to speak but I feel like that's one that I hear a lot. But I guess there's things happening around that as well. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that you and I debate a little bit. Maybe not as much as we could, but, uh, like, we've done... And I don't mean this in a self-aggrandizing way. We've done so much free stuff. Yeah. Like, and for me, it's also all the hip-hop stuff. I, I did a radio show for free for five years, written yeah. from countless magazines, hundreds, like, thousands and thousands of times, sometimes earning nothing or $30. Yeah, that's true. And now I'm like, hang on, we've got a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. You know, I finished my book yesterday... It's probably going to be 50 bucks or so. Like, yeah. I know a student can't always afford 50 bucks, but, like, yeah. uh, at some point, you, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you become more than a public service. Yeah, that's true. And I don't mean that in a shitty way. Um, I mean, I'd like to do a conference. It's been on my mind for a while. No. I did a hip-hop one, four-day hip-hop conference. <laughs> do you want to hear out what we did? Yeah, tell me. We had an MPC battle. That's the sampler and sequencer piece of technology from Akai from memory. Yeah. So there were people sampling on stage. This is, like, 2000. Yeah. Uh, an MC battle, breakdance battle, DJ battle. We had events for people trying to work out how to set up independent record labels. That's cool. It was intense. Earned no money from it, and it was exhausting, but yeah. de- deeply fulfilling. That's that. I think you get. Um, I think you get probably max four hours of productive work per day. Yeah. Of like that deep thinking. Deep thinking. Yeah. So I got four. 20 hours a week yeah and this is science yeah science science is happening at 80 hours a month but if we've got 80 hours 
how yeah. much of that load do you want to take on? A co- conference to me feels like a heavy weight mental load for us. I yeah. don't know if it's like now, whatever. I, I well, we would bring, we would get help. We'd bring people in. Yep. And the thing is, you know, I was talking to Tom Beck, who runs the Society of Digital Agencies, the other day about the Soda Academy, this big event that they're doing. Um, going to do something strange with them this year. I hope. I hope that it's strange. I am going to do something with them. And, you know, the power of events and experiences, I think, is more important than ever. Yeah. It's such an obvious thing to say. I mean, the emotion in some of the rooms that we've been in, and sometimes in the you know, I've done like three-day events with large publishers in New York and the people in the room are like, I just thought this was going to be like normal corporate training. I didn't know what to mm. expect. And then they'll come up afterwards and they're like, oh, thank God it wasn't like that. And yeah. and they kind of bond with each other a little bit more because I try yeah. to get them to talk about things in an honest yet safe way. So I think the power of events is really important and, and conferences, I think, are, are super important. And you know what? America's really good at gatherings. Yeah. You know, like, whatever you're into, you could probably find, like, a thousand people in some city at some point going to a convention or conference about it. It's incredible. Yep. We could have strategy battles, mate. We could do strat battles. Strat battles. Okay, well, that's another thing that we... we, I don't know if we've learned this. I don't know if this Mm. is an absolute truth, but, like, live action strategy. Yeah. We did it on a podcast. Yeah. We've done it on stages. I've done it in my own events as well. Yep. Um, it's great. Like, I, and this is the exciting thing for me is like, all these things start really small. Like you go back to that podcast and it's literally you just asking me like, Hey, lamps, like, can you, or can you explain this with an example? And then I saw a, you know, lamp on my desk and then it grows into this big thing. Cause now I think, um, there's so many people have taken it and are doing it in really cool ways. So like Marco did the 30 days of strategy with the... Um, your pies yep. um, thing yep. and then what's the other hashtag that you've got strategy I didn't start it but someone maybe it was Marco or someone responded Jeez. to Marco uh, hashtag show your strategy yeah so there's a handful of people posting hypothetical strategies on that hashtag go check it out yeah. share your own I mean, for whatever it's worth Julian and I support that stuff and yep. if people are subtweeting you ignore them but like it's not that like just just keep going. Like, yeah, and we're gonna be there. We're gonna be there for support for you. Yeah, um, not that we're bullies. No, no. As in, like we're there for supporting you. Like if you show your strategy, we'll give you feedback. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I think that's so good. I think that's so good that we can get like if we're all sharing. Even me, like I did with um, two friends, Christian, and Michael. We did um, the Super Bowl ads. We mm-hmm. looked at the top 10 and did get two buys for them. And it was such a helpful exercise, just Practice. practicing, using that muscle. And then the other great thing was hearing, like, how, like, Christo looked at it a completely different way of the get two buy. And I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting thing. And I learned something. I'm like, okay, this is maybe how I should process get two buys. Yeah, so it's yeah. super helpful. Get two buys is, is a useful template, but like all templates, if you fill them in with nothing, they are nothing. Yeah. Two, two quick examples, and I share this just in case people are listening and uh, not sure, like they want to share, they think they should share, they're not sure how to share, what to share, where to share. Like, and that's why like, I do have a little bit of a bias towards quantity of output for now. Mm. Uh, maybe, the, maybe a real artist, whatever that is, would just sit down, close the door, not share anything until they're ready to you know, launch their thing. But there's two, two one... one uh, article a series of articles I wrote was like how to make a presentation make a point and I actually drew it while working with a head of strategy uh, a, a building down from where we are right now and two things happen from that one is um, as we we're working through some pictures I just wrote down my notes um, and then I turned it into an article for Quartz QZ Quartz at work and it was one of their most read things and I didn't expect that because I had silly drawings like there's an information monster and a story rainbow and then I turned it into a training event and it's one of one of the kind of top three pieces of content I get asked for when I'm doing events the other thing that I didn't expect from that is that someone I won't name them took a photo of the story rainbow and got a tattoo of it wow. right? so I didn't expect that and then late last year I started to post these um, Authority. I know. I kind of know what I'm doing, but I'm making it up as I go. These authoritative voice things. Like one was called "Your Fucking Career," and it's like a little PDF. I put it on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's had like half a million um, 
views for whatever that's worth. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not selling anything from it. And I'm going to do that as an event for the social uh, Society of Digital Agencies Academy thing as well. And it's just going to be weird. But I don't know. I didn't know that those things were going to lead anywhere yeah. until I did them. Yeah, yeah. And it's better to have done them yeah. and and then worked out whether they do lead anywhere than to just sit on your hands and wonder and be frustrated and maybe subtweet people. Yeah try to get them perfect yeah have you have you found any of the stuff that you've posted in the recent year or two it's, has it, any of it surprised you and what's what's caught on what have you learned from it all um i think the the one that i did was the get to buy yeah so a funny story about the get to buy was that it was used all the time at bbdo confession i never used it once mm. uh like yeah. i was to comms planning so i was just doing tactical briefs off the back so i didn't do it but then someone was asking me about um, a creative, do I have a creative brief formula or a creative brief? I'm like, well, I know the get to buy. I think I know how it works. So then I just went and researched for like, uh, probably like two weeks, mm -hmm. all about the get to buy, all about creative briefs. And then I wrote it out and I tried to find a new example and I found the Spotify example, like the Spotify work had just launched. Mm -hmm. So I just reverse briefed the get to buy from that can you give us can you give us that one um not off the top of my head okay. it was like can you give us one example that you recall or I, you can make one up yeah it, for that one it was like get gen um i think it was gen x right. who see spotify as the trendy place for trendy music okay um to sign up for spotify sign up for the spotify account or use it more by showing um, the the music they listened to, um, there was a simple one which was that the music they listened to uh, twenty years ago is still relevant today. Yeah. So like you're flipping yeah. relevancy, um, yeah. and it's still relevant. I think the two would have been written with like Spotify is relevant to them or something. So you're yep. getting that. Yeah. Um, is re relevant to them. Okay. So the campaign. Yeah. I'll keep going because I just want to point out a. An alternative for a different, just an alternative way with words to point out how you, to point out how you can use similar templates or methods of thinking to landing things that feel quite different, mm. which can sometimes make you feel confused about if you're doing the thing right. Mm. So, what did it lead to? Oh, the the work was um, the it was all campaigns like in 1998. You were 24 hour party people. Um, Mm -hmm. Today, you're two to four hour party people. Yeah. And then um, there are all other. Yeah. Um, but the, there the, was the idea of calling conference call. Right. Calling. Yeah. So yeah. The, whole, the, the whole campaign builds on bringing just smart copy that relates something from a long time ago to now. Yes. Right, that's cool. Yeah. A quick example. I'll see if this comes out right. So, I, so, like I said, I finished the book yesterday and I used the New York Knicks a little bit. I hope they don't sue me. Don't sue me. Um, and so I imagine the situation where there are these people called the holdouts and they're long-term New York fans, New York Knicks, Knicks fans who refuse to buy season tickets because the team hasn't done well very for a very long time. The funny thing is, I mean, this stuff was trending in New York again last week that people are like trying to get the, the owner of the club out, etc. And so let's call them the holdouts. Um, and let's joke that the New York Knicks are the best anger management in town. And so let me see if I can do a get to buy get New York Knicks fans who are holding out from buying season tickets mm -hmm. which is to say that they're fans but don't want to give them money to buy season tickets yep. buy see this is where it gets a little bit different or a little bit you know, trying to m m mold the uh, mental models by showing them that the New York Knicks are great anger management yeah yeah the best anger management in town yeah so it can work, definitely work work like that that could lead to a single minded proposition such as the New York Knicks help you cure New York anger uh, that could lead to a campaign called shout it out but again between five sentences there you've got the semblance of a campaign strategy and a communications idea could be to turn up where New Yorkers are most angry mm. are angrier so within seven sentences you've got the structure of a campaign do you know the one thing I've learned about the get to buy is that um, you've got to use it as the final output yeah. rather than a lot of people try to fill that out to begin with yeah. and it's actually at the end of your creative presentation I mean sorry your creative briefing yeah. because what you actually need to do is go through your 
process of pies first yeah, of like yeah. you need to go work out what's the business problem what's the human problem behind the business problem what's an insight that can mm-hmm. like unlock that with the edge if I'm using your framework the edge yeah. um, and then you get to the strategy and then once if you've done all that work then you should be able to translate that into a get to buy okay it reminds me a bit of the four only because positioning statement and you can expand that in with a couple of other attributes but I've, I've seen some of these over the years and I just stare at them re- like when I first started out I was really confused but mm. for New York Knicks fans who are holding out from buying season tickets only the New York Knicks can cure their New York anger management because it's really expensive they don't try they, they don't look like they're trying to win so on and so forth so that's mm. get to buy for only because they're, they're useful until you fill them with stuff where you aren't trying yeah, you know, where you treat them as like too bureaucratically. The biggest, the biggest telltale tell tale sign is when someone's got like a business goal in there to increase awareness. Who are not aware of awareness should never appear in a creative brief. Yeah, I tend to agree with that um, because it's very circular, right? Because yeah. you, you get. Well, what's the problem we're trying to solve? People aren't aware of us. Why aren't they aware of us? Because we've never told them about us. Why haven't we told them about us? Because we had no money to tell... Okay. It's a creative data. So what do we need to do? Make them aware of us. That's the strategy. It's like, no, it's like an output and super vague. So I tend yeah. to agree. And also I've seen over the, over the years uh, people putting an entire path to purchase in the marketing brief. What Objectives. Ooh. Drive awareness, consideration, intention, trial, purchase usage loyalty repurchase you're like what (laughs) (laughs) what's the budget one dollar um okay anything else on logistics for event Uh, content for event we've been going for like 45 oh really i feel like it's like an hour yeah just get caught in this transfixed in this moment moment with you mate in this small room We're 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 in a room with what would you call this uh, it's like there's a bench there are two chairs we're touching knees I reckon this yeah. would cost $10,000 a month in New York to rent yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we couldn't even lie down yeah. yeah. maybe 20000 but so. it's, a, it's a very nice a very nice spot um, but I'm excited for our planning session today excited what happens yeah I'm obviously moving here we'll see what happens well let, let's let's conclude with that mm-hmm. okay what have what have you learned about you and life especially Especially over the past year, and then yeah. we'll wrap up. Okay. Uh, so, probably the biggest lesson that I've learned is the importance of, I think, a social network, I, like a community, more friends, I think. I think I took it for granted when I was in New York and Sydney when I was young, because I always had lots of friends surrounding me. And then when I moved to LA, I, hadn't, I didn't really know anyone for more than like six months. So I was building everything up again. And I think the double whammy of moving to LA and um, working from home was like a super bad combo because it's like LA sprawled out. It's really hard. Like people spend most of their life in cars. It's really true. Um, and it was there was no serendipity in meeting people walking yeah. down the street. And so I realized that like really impacted me. Like... I had known, I had three friends. And so if I text messaged all those friends on Friday night and then couldn't catch up with any of them, I'm like, ah, oh, what did I do on the weekend? And I didn't want to hang out with like Amber all the time because she also was working from home at the same time as well. So we're both working from home. All I'd speak, I'd like only speak to her for a, most days. And like, I'd try to speak about work because that's what I was really excited about. Work was going so well last year, but she was like, just no I need some other time and it really impacted me like I feel like my flame was kind of like dulling out um I like to be like I'm very inquisitive and excited about and I get new hobbies every month like there's a new hobby every month for me and that just was dying out and I got really like it really like um was hard for me and uh we made we made the choice to move back here because um, Amber was like, it's it affecting you as a person into this relationship. Like, you're you're becoming, she was saying, you're becoming boring. Um, oh, no more kimono, Julian. Which is, uh, yeah, maybe that's why the kimonos were going away. Oh. Um, but it was kind of true. It just had 
completely like that one thing had dominoed into the rest of my life, like my interest, my passion, my excitement. And New York gives me that. Um, like automatically, I, we've been back for like a week's, we're looking for a house and stuff, which is the most painful thing anyone can do mm. in New York with brokers and the rest. Yep. But I'm still excited by it. Like I still am very passionate. And the idea that you and I are in a city together is like so like exciting for me because I'm like, what can we do together? Yeah. Um, and it's like, I'm not going to be working from home. I'm definitely not going to be working from home. I'm going to be working somewhere around with people, maybe you, um, and that's going to be really exciting. I'm going to change my life that way because yeah. I know how important it is and I think I didn't invest enough in community, so I'm really interested in making sure I've got a solid group of friends um, and my life is kind of balanced because I think... I just had work. That was the only thing that was winning and, and Amber. Um, in LA. In LA. Yeah. I feel like I had a couple of friends, but it was just really hard. And yeah. it was, the city just wasn't designed for that. So coming here, I've really made that like a yeah. news resolution, really invest. Because a lot of friends have left as well. They've come and they've gone. Yeah. So I really need to like invest in friendship and build that network. Yeah, and I think a few of us were sharing either interviews or articles, especially about men and loneliness. You know, yeah. there is more research on this. I've, I've, I've followed the topic over the years, so I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, alien to the topic. What's been surprising to me is someone who has for a long time identified as a bit of an outsider, which may or may not be true. It's just this thing that's in my head uh, as some coping mechanism for when I was young is that now I'm talking to people that I saw as not being outsiders. Like you, I, I always thought, you know, totally functional, not, not, you know, totally functional, well-balanced and like striving and thriving and amazing. And then the past few years, especially as people start to sniff like the mid thirties and the mid forties, and it's not just about those age, ages, but especially around then, um, people are like, oh man, I haven't caught up with friends in a long time. Do I have friends anymore? And then mm. research comes out and it talks about how um, heteronormative men, at least, who've been married, if uh, if their partners die, they tend to die younger than if the a woman with a man, um, if a woman out uh, out survives or outlasts her, <laughs> her husband. It's definitely an outlast. That's the correct verb there. Joking. Uh, congratulations on your marriage, by the way. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Can we talk about that? No. Um, but yeah, like there's, we had a couple of chats uh, based on people we knew who were hitting a broad midlife and you're like oh some of what we're doing some of what we're talking about if you've got a full-time advertising a job it really doesn't last as long as you think it no. might right no. and uh, I'm being a bit I'm babbling right now because I'm I don't, don't know if we've spoken about this in the same room with knees almost touching but like is, is it fair to say that some of the stuff you were reading last year the conversations you were having that are a bit more private than public like yeah. that how do they impact you with some of the decisions you have made or are about to make? Well, I think it, it, it had a massive impact because we moved across the side of the country, like the other side of the country. Um, I think that I'm just, yeah, and it's become like a resolution of mine to improve my friend network. And Scott Galloway, I think, talked about it as well. He's like, that was the thing he neglected. And I think I'm thinking more holistically about my whole like work, like life happiness. Yes. And I think they're words that you don't hear many guys speak about together no. or like, and that's what I love about you, Mark, is that you bring that out of people is like, you let me be in touch with my like emotional intelligence side and, and really have those discussions. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely have to, it has to impact me because it's changing the way I make decisions through my whole life now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I dig that. I dig that. Did you hear? There's one stat. I think you might have told me this, but it was a really interesting one. That um, men's or men's best friends have um, vanished, have gone away. There was an article that I think was doing the rounds recently, right? Yeah, in that men will say that their wife is their best friend, so they no longer have a best friend because their wife is their best friend. And I was yeah. like, oh. And I, I think that's a consequence of, especially what Alain de Botton talks about with uh, why you'll marry the wrong person, that we've been set up, at least in Western society or some cultures, that a relationship and love completes you. Mm. That sometimes one person's broken 
or they're defective without the other person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that person, the person who is a bit more alpha and dominant will allow that narrative to happen. And we've been sucked into this world of uh, a couple almost trying to merge into each other, which is not a right or wrong idea, but it's an idea. It's not the only idea, Mm -hmm. as opposed to having a sense of independence, of encouraging each other uh, and allowing that energy to sort of percolate as well. And, you know, it's, it's what I found interesting, especially in the past year, is talking to guys, and, and sorry, I do talk more to men about this, it's just how I'm, I don't know who I see, <laughs> I'm a dude, I don't know, sorry, gender, uh, and it can be quite isolating for a guy who's trying to get on this journey and whose partner, if they have a partner, doesn't take any interest in it and almost feels threatened by the guy exploring what he's about. And he won't often have a lot of friends to talk about these topics with. Mm. And so it's, it's a whole other dynamic around there. And for all the talk of like cancelling men and masculine toxicity, etc., there are guys trying to work this stuff out. And uh, I guess that's why these men's groups are popping up. And, and um, you know, like, I, I, you know, having grown up with what I grew up around, I, I hope men can sort some of this stuff out. We are what's, animals. What's your advice like, for, for people in that situation? Uh... I, look, a lot of the guys I talk to, their first port of call is podcasts. Okay. Right, and there has been, and it's funny because some of the people that these guys listen to get absolutely torn down in the public media. Mm. Uh, you know, people who are listening to this who listen to other podcasts know who I'm talking about. Um, but the thing is, sometimes that that voice in, the, in a podcast is the only voice the person has to access some of these ideas through, to, mm. to hear them spoken about in a, maybe in a masculine way. Um so I don't, I don't know what the advice is. I, I think it just starts with some of the dynamics that we feel in rooms mm. where the advice is the self-talk of I'm, I'm, not, I'm not alone. There are people like yeah. me out there. And that's what is amazing about the internet. Yeah. You can find your crew. The other thing is to, uh, this is advice to myself really, is to not just like hide in, the, in a dark corner somewhere. I think mm. you've got to make steps to get out into the public and spend time with your people mm. and build structures around it. Not, not a personal strength. Yeah. Yeah, what do, you, do you have any I, advice? Uh, well, for me, because I'm going to go through it this yeah, year. Yeah. So you, not, not, I think Amber's super supportive of me. That's, I always think she's like Einstein in terms of emotional intelligence. She's always like read the picture like a million times over. I'm like, wow. Like her, it was her decision to move to LA, mm. I mean to New York, because she was like, she was stoked in LA and loved it. But her our collective happiness was not, like if we were both five out of tens and... I was like a three. She was like, your collective happiness in New York is going to be way higher. Yeah. So she made the move even though she was loving LA. And I'm like, that's amazing that you've got that foresight to realise that could be an issue. For me this year, um, the one thing that worked in LA were like sports. Mm -hmm. And so I've just got to find sports here. Like I'm going to have to find a soccer like I want to play indoor soccer somewhere or like outside futsal. Maybe you yeah. can come join me. Maybe we can yeah. make a strategy team. I broke team. my leg last time I played soccer when I was, ah, oh, so many leg injuries. Come yeah. on, mate, we can do something. But I want to play more activity. I want to have more activities yeah, yeah. around, surrounding my life. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think the principle there is you've got to build it into the systems of your life so you don't have to think about it too much. Yep. You know, you've got to remove the friction. I noticed that as soon as I was a week or two from finishing this book, then my energy shifted and uh, I was so I went to Pilates four times I've never been to Pilates I did it four times in a week and then I had a week away so I haven't done it again but I hadn't really exercised I hadn't done yoga in a year and a half my energy just shifted and the weather in New York's been quite warm as well so yeah. that could be part of it there's a little bit more light in the day this stuff really affects me but this year um, I'd say trying to build physicality into my life is really important mm. because I've, I've always been anxious that if I'm trying to be really creative for me trying to be really creative that if I'm too tired from exercise then I won't be creative and so I my body kind of freezes a little bit mm. but now I've gotten through this huge project I'm working on I'm like no no we got this we can do this mm. how do we build a couple of other other routines or habits into this life yeah that will be good for me in the long run so mm. I, th- I think it's the systems thing um and I would say to anyone because I have lots of I'm sure you do too I have lots of like intimate conversations not just with guys, but with people on the internet. And, like, feel free to DM us DM mm. us on Instagram and the Twitters. Like, we're always happy to have those chats because I know that there are people listening to this who are in they're in small towns. They might be the only strategist in their agency or even in their city or town. Uh, we're always happy to have a little bit of back and forth. So mm. you, you got to try to find your people, build systems around it. Um, 
and uh, look, the energy, and I know we've talked about this, and I've talked about it on stage. The energy that I try to connect with now more than off, more than not, is this energy of love. Mm. You know, when I'm in a room talking, and I hear myself babbling right now, my brain's like, dude, you're so egotistical, you're so narcissistic. Who are you to be here? Who are you to be talking? And then I'm like, oh my god, I think I love this room. I think I love these people. I'm feeling love, and so I, I have to kind of counter that negative self-talk with the fact that when I'm alive in a way in front of people in a way that I'm not in and haven't been in most of my private life there's like this new sense of emotion that I mm. didn't used to connect with yeah and so that's been an interesting journey yeah bit abstract right yeah alright JC let's go do this we got a plan yep. uh, hope, hope, hope people didn't don't feel this is too self-indulgent we were just like let's record something before we plan it's not a common thing that people do we're going to launch dates in a bunch of cities you can find those dates at strategymegaclass.com pretty soon mm-hmm. it's called the strategy super size mega class are you going to pimp anything jc no that's good planning dirty planning dirty got the academy if you want to sign up there there you go um and the newsletter planning dirty newsletter it's huge yeah it's huge all right let's get at this cool thanks for your time jc peace